Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I just want to say thank you to everyone who has taken the time to rate and review us on iTunes. It's so, so appreciated. Today, I am joined by Rosa Halpern, the designer and founder of The Namesake. Welcome, Rosa. Thank you, Donna. I'm so excited to have you here, and this is a designer spotlight episode, so I'm not going to introduce you because that is what we're going to learn through our conversation today. So let's start from the very beginning. Where are you from? What's your family makeup? Tell me a little bit about your early days. Amazing. Well, right at the beginning where it all started, um, I was born in London, England. I am the middle of three girls, and um, I spent my childhood moving around a little bit um, and eventually settled in Toronto at age 11. And um, I've lived a lot of other places since then, but Toronto definitely has been home since 11. And what did your parents do? Or do they do? So my, uh, my parents, my dad is a labor historian and my mom was a modern dancer. So I definitely come from, get the creative aspect naturally from my mother and um, I think other aspects of what I do in my career from my dad. Tell me a little bit about what kind of kid you were. Were you rambunctious? Were you a bookworm? I, I definitely was a very creative child um, and... I would also say a very serious child. I mean, I had a lot of fun, but there was definitely an element of seriousness to everything I did. And I took my hobbies and my passions and my games very seriously. Um, and I, I also think that being a middle child, um, I kind of found an identity as the creative one very early on. Um, my older sister is absolutely brilliant and um, very academically oriented. And I, I've, figured out pretty early on that I was a little bit better at drawing than her and kind of hung on to that for dear life and, and kind of immersed myself in the creative world really, really early. What Did you notice clothing when you were a little kid? Is that something you used in your creative expression or did you not really pay attention to that until later? Absolutely. Clothes have been like my one of my biggest passions as long as I can remember. Um, I mean, I would fill coloring books with sketches of dresses as early as early as I could draw. And um, I actually learned how to sew, I would say, around age 9 or 10. Um, and when I say sew, that was followed quickly by learning actually how to pattern and how to, like, really construct garments, like French bias seams, things like that. My mom is amazing and really creative, and she was the one who actually taught me how to sew. Um she she jokes now that my sewing machines scare her because they're industrial machines and I learned how to sew on my great great grandmother's Singer featherweight machine which does like a stitch a minute. Wow. Um, I actually still have the machine in my studio but um, yeah so I clothes have always been really important whether it's drawing them making them or wearing them and um, I definitely had a very unique sense of style as a young child. Oh, tell me more about that. Uh, well, I mean, I wore a ton of costume jewelry. I think I had a phase where I wore like a bride veil for a whole year straight. I was really young at this point. Um, but, you know, part of the reason I, I learned how to make clothes was because I would be cutting up, you know, my mom's fabric and stuff. And she eventually said, look, if you're going to keep wasting the fabric, you might as well learn what you're doing. Um, and another reason I, I think she taught me how to sew is 
I never could find the clothes I was looking for in like a children's department store. I always wanted things that I couldn't find. And so, you know, it started with me altering my clothes and kind of grew into a whole career. And did that translate as you were a teenager as well, that desire to alter, to to express yourself through what you put on your body? Absolutely. I mean, I, I actually went to a private school where we had a uniform and um, I, you know, we had our school blazer and I actually screen printed bright pink, like Alexander McQueen style skulls into the entire lining of my uh, school blazer. Excellent. Um, so that when I walked through the halls, you know, it kind of flapped and showed out this neon pink skull. Um, and I think it just came from a desire to want to like have my shows, exp- uh, my clothes express who I was a little bit more. Um, and also, you know, even if you're wearing a uniform, you can still stand out and you can still be kind of independent in how you wear that uniform. How did the people around you, be it your friends or your family, react to this bursting creativity that you were expressing through clothing? I mean, my family has always been super, super supportive of, of me and, I mean, of all of my my siblings' interests, which are very divergent. Um, and, you know, I think, obviously, te- giving a kid a sewing machine and teaching them how to sew is a really great way of supporting it. And my friends, likewise were really supportive. I, I made clothes for all my friends in high school. I made, you know, beyond Halloween costumes, I made prom dresses, I made formal dresses, and kind of that became my identity really early on with like the fashionista, which is a word I hate, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> did you go to design school after high school? I did. I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, um, which is an amazing, amazing design program in Chicago. The reason I actually decided on um, SAIC, which is the acronym for the school, it's a little lengthy. Um, the reason I decided on SAIC, not you know a more traditional design school, was because SAIC um, was a very kind of multi-discipline approach to fashion. So we actually had a minor in art history, um, and there was a focus kind of on the academics as well as just kind of the creative side, as well as like you had to take painting classes, sculpture classes, as well as fashion classes. What was your application to that school composed of? So um, my application to the, the design school was pretty conventional, I have to say. I mean, I had, you know, the garments I had made when I was in high school photographed and put in that. I had drawings, I had photography, I had all different things. Um, something I really struggled with when I started art school was that, you know, I had always had this identity as the creative one, but it was in a very conventional sort of way, like the dresses I made were prom dresses or whatever. And then um, when I when I got to school, it was a much more avant-garde, um, abstract approach to fashion, almost the idea that like clothing is wearable art rather than clothing. Um, and it, it's a very, very specific type of education I received there. And it was a struggle because my, you know, the work I, I approached the school with was quite conventional. And all of a sudden I was in the first critique of semester one and I was like, my drawings were all but torn down off the wall. And, and um, you know, that that's a rude awakening. Um, but the philosophy, I think, of the school and certainly what I believe it taught me was that if you can start with a really wide lens 
and design very abstractly, it's much easier to narrow that lens and narrow that focus rather than if you start very you know, tight and technical, it's harder than to widen your lens and get more creative. One's easier than the other. Were you a fashion major? Is that how you started there? I did start as a fashion major, yeah. So it's something you've kind of always had, as you've been saying, a bit of a bug. Yeah, for... yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I took other classes and poked around in other classes and other departments, but, you know, pretty early on, it was evident that that's what I wanted to do. And what did that, I mean, we hear various kind of experiences about whether the post-secondary experience is something that was really valuable for designers as they continued their careers. And some of them haven't gone to design school at all. What did that experience of being at the, at the school in Chicago mean to you, do you think? I think that what I really got out of the program was that I learned how to think creatively and I learned how to think about clothing not as clothing but as like a garment that carries a message and carries a weight um the school perhaps lacked on things like teaching tech packs and you know how to work with suppliers and manufacturers but what it excelled at was really really driving in this idea that there's enough clothes in the world to clothe us all what 10 times over why are you making this what does it mean what is the meaning behind it? What does it symbolize? And and kind of focus on these more abstract motifs behind what you're doing rather than just producing a pretty collection. An incredibly thoughtful approach to the creation of a garment. Exactly. Um, absolutely. It was, it was um, theme first and focus first, product second. And did you find that that philosophy is something that was prevalent in the industry proper as you began to work in internship capacities or within your jobs within the industry? So yes and no. I had certain internships and jobs um, that, that definitely were not like that. And I would say the majority were not like that. I actually started interning at a really young age, like when I was still in high school. Wow. Um, yeah, my first internship was at age 15, I want to say, with Jofer Kayok, who's a Canadian designer. Yeah, Jofer's great. Um, and, you know, I, I interned with him basically to finish high school, like as I finished high school. Okay, I want to just pause there for a minute because I can hear people going, what, 15? Tell me about how that came to be. Uh, well, like I said, I, I always had been obsessed with fashion. I actually went to do a pre-college program the summer after grade 10, I want to say. So I think you're 15, 16 then. And um, I absolutely loved it. And I came back and was like, I want to do this. I, I'm obsessed. And a friend of my sis, my sister's friend's dad was in the garment industry and, you know, put together a list of people who I could contact and he was on the list and I went and met with him and it was during the summer and I I worked with him for him part-time in the summer and it was like you know mostly sweeping the floor from scraps and things and I thought it was the coolest job ever I absolutely loved it um, and then as in high school as I had like you know a period off in school or whatever I would go and work for him maybe one afternoon a week kind of thing um through my first summer at university, I did that as well. So I was there a while. What did you learn from him? Um, I mean, for that was my real first exposure to the, to the fashion world at all. So for him, from him, it was really just like your base education, like fashion 101 on like how to make a collection, what goes into making a collection, um, what what, a sh what happens in a showroom, what happens here, you know, kind of all the moving pieces. Um, and after that, 
experience. I worked for, I, I started interning in New York throughout school, um, and I had some great internships there that were definitely more conventional. And then my last internship in New York was with Olivier Thaskins of Thaskins Theory. And that was the one, to go back to your kind of original question, that um, provided a bit of a different and more conceptual approach to fashion that I was more familiar with. And I think part of that is that he ran Thaskins Theory more like a European atelier rather than like a North American fast fashion brand. And, um, you know, he was so obsessed with detailing and fabric manipulation and draping and he really slowed down and kind of put blinders on to the pressure of the company at large or at least that's what it seemed to me as an intern and um it was an amazing experience and I absolutely loved working there I got to work on some really really cool projects um I and a lot of what I was doing was fabric manipulations learning how to come up with new ideas and new ways to use different materials that sounds like it must have been so exciting. Like you are the one who's going out and seeing what bonds with what and what pleats and what doesn't. So you can take it back to him and say, hey, this is what this fabric does. And then watch him do whatever he's going to do with it. Is that kind of inaccurate? A hundred percent. You nailed it. <laughs> I, you said something that I just want to go back to for a minute because it's something that I've pondered myself is that there is a philosophical difference between running an atelier and running a brand. Mm -hmm. One no better than the other, just two very different approaches to, to fashion. Absolutely. How would you define the difference between the two? I'm tempted to say that I find an atelier is more about like the act of fashion, if that makes sense. So there's more kind of attention given to like the draping and the patterning and the craftsmanship, whereas a brand is about more than just the clothing. The brand extends to kind of the branding, the brand image, the whole kind of like everything else that goes alongside the clothing to make the brand successful. And Atelier to me is more about craftsmanship at, it, at its core. Then I would say to you, it seems like the namesake is a merging of those two philosophies in a really powerful way. I try. <laughs> I think that, um, I think that, what I'm what I'm trying to do is really pay homage to like the craftsmanship of what I'm doing of the industry and everything I've learned, but build kind of a cult like brand following at the same time. So I don't want to jump ahead too much because I want to make sure that we we talk a little bit about you know the time between your internships and deciding to start your own mm -hmm. label. What were some of the experiences that were happening in between there that you kind of led to that moment of I'm going to go out on my own? Right. So um, I had been promised a job at Thaskin's Theory when I, upon graduation, and it was like my dream job. New York was my dream city. I was like on cloud nine, and then I got a call that Thaskin's Theory was closing. And, wah, wah. and it was a big moment of like, okay, well, what's next? You know, you've been working at this basically since 15, so where are we going? And I decided that I was going to move to Paris because that's the, you know, the obvious thing, duh. And um, only problem is I didn't have any money. So I came back to Toronto and the plan was just to work for a few months, save some money, 
take French lessons to improve my French and get to Paris ASAP. Uh, and in that interim, I got an amazing job um, that started more as like a shop position, turned into a management position and turned into kind of a buying position at a high-end uh, boutique in Toronto. And that was my first real exposure to the business side of fashion. Everything I had done thus far was on the creative side. And all of a sudden I was immersed in the, in the business kind of world. And in tandem with this experience, my, this new role, a friend of mine asked me to make her a leather jacket. That is a very random request of someone to make of someone. Like I, I can see, hey, could you make me a dress? Hey, I need a pair of pants, even maybe a suit. But hey, can you make me a leather jacket? Right. So, I mean, I think one thing to remember, like I said, I've been making my friends clothes since high school. So it it was definitely random, but it it wasn't like, you know, pulling a total left fielder. Um, and, Still a leather jacket. <laughs> and my own personal style has always been very, like, kind of rock and roll-ish. And, um, and I had never made a leather jacket. I had knew how to pattern jackets. I knew how to, you know, make other jackets, but I had never actually worked with leather before at all. Um, and she was having trouble. She was, a, she, she had broader shoulders and she was having trouble finding a jacket that fit her shoulders, but that didn't have, you know, a belt or this or whatever it was. And I said, sure, why not? I'll, I'll try. Um, and I made, I made her a leather jacket. She loved it. Okay. So tell me about how you taught yourself to do that because yeah, you understand patterning and you had a lot of the tools, but a leather jacket, I know from being in your studio is a very specific garment and leather is a very specific fabric to use like did your time in the shop kind of help you understand uh so I mean the base the base of constructing any garment is going to be the same you pattern it or you drape it you pattern it you cut it you sew it um what changes like you said is the material so I did have an industrial sewing machine it wasn't tuned at all for leather but we made it work, um, and 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 then I did a lot of research, YouTube videos, figuring out kind of how to handle the leather. So with leather, you actually have to skive the edges of the leather. And what does that mean? So skiving is where you basically take a thin layer off of the edge of the leather, so it's the seam allowance width. And if you think about, like, for example, the seams of your jeans, how they kind of have a thick seam on them. Um, we don't want that with leather because leather is way thicker than, than denim. And so you can imagine how thick and bulky the seams are going to get. So there's a machine that does this. I, that I now use, uh, at this point, hand skived the whole jacket. It took me about 12 hours just to prepare the leather to, to sew. Um, and I mean, th that's insane, but I didn't know any better. And I, I certainly didn't have access to a skiving machine and I, I just kind of went for it. Um, and the jacket, I mean, if, if I, my friend still wears the jacket. I just want to say I saw her for, for dinner like a few months ago and she was wearing the jacket. That's fantastic. But I'm like mortified. I'm like, please <laughs> throw it away. Um, no, it's, it's just like, it's, you know, you, first of all, you're always the biggest critic of your own work and I see flaws in everything I make where nobody else would. But also my skill set has expanded so much from them. This was literally my first leather jacket ever. Um, but she loved it and a few of her friends loved it and wanted them. And a few of my friends heard I was making custom jackets and everybody, you know, wanted 
wanted no belt or bigger shoulders or more pockets or less pockets or this texture leather. And I kind of realized that no one else was doing this. And totally by accident, I had tapped into this hole in the market, um, which was great. But the other great thing was that I loved it. And I, I finally found like a material that I really loved working with. I'm a total perfectionist and I always have been. And at times in my life, it was a real fault. Like I would do assignments multiple times over if I made a mistake. Um, but with leather, being a perfectionist is such an asset because you only get one shot with leather. When you're sewing leather, it's literally a needle piercing through skin. And just like you, you can't rip out the stitches and do it again. You get one shot to go for it and make it perfect. And there's like this risk to that that I love, but it also has forced me and my craft to to reach a new level that, I, that I'm really proud of. Leather can be a controversial textile mm -hmm. to use. Um, animal rights, environmental impact. What is your approach to those issues? So absolutely, leather is, is definitely a controversial material. Um, at Namesake, pretty much everything we do is very thoughtful. And we've thought about, you know, the meaning of each jacket, which I'm sure we'll get to. But um, we've also thought about the material really, really hard. And every single leather we use is a direct byproduct of the food industry. So it's le leather that is sitting there and we're putting it to use. Um, we also are very, very specific about where we get our leather from. So we're only working with tanneries where we know what the tanning practices are. We know what chemicals are being used and it's leather that we can stand behind and really believe in. Um, there's beautiful leather out there that we just kind of turn away because it doesn't fit our like moral standpoint from the material we want to be using. Um, and then there's another factor, which is that we look at a lot of the materials our clothing are made out of both pleather and also blended materials that is way, way, way worse for the environment than using, you know, a natural material that eventually is going to disintegrate and become one with the earth again. Um, and so I, I think that really it becomes about educating the consumer and educating the consumer about different types of leather, different types of materials, and kind of the environmental practices that we have put in place to kind of counter what, we, what we're doing. I love that your friend who asked you to make your very first jacket still wears it. How does it make, how did it make her feel when she got that jacket where she clearly, it sounds like had been looking for something, she couldn't find it. What did that mean to her? And what did that mean to you? I think that leather has a really unique ability to really transform the way a woman feels. Um, leather's you know, you put on a leather jacket and you instantly kind of feel a little bit more badass or, you know, whatever it is you need, it gives you that little extra body armor to, to go kick ass that day. And I think that other than maybe a pair of like heels, there's no other clothing out there that really has that ability to just totally transform the way you walk into a room. That's one of the things I really love about, about working with leather and the product we're making is that it really empowers someone to feel like their best self. And I like to think that that's how, how she feels in it. Um, that's certainly how she acts in it, um, as do most of my customers. But um, it looks amazing on her. And Well, there's such social symbolism behind a leather jacket too, right? Like from 
Marlon Brando to James Dean to, you know, Madonna and Desperately Seeking Susan. Like it's been part of our pop culture as a symbol of rebellion and power and independence for men and women Mm -hmm. throughout, throughout our pop culture history, I would say. Right. I agree. Tell me about the day you started the namesake. What year was it? So I officially started namesake, uh, I think in 2016. Um, I, it, it was something I'd been working on kind of like, you know, after work hours in my mom's basement, like very like under, under wraps for a while. Yeah, it was a side hustle. And, um, then I quit my job January, 2016 and was like, okay, this is it. This is what I'm doing now. And, um, I actually had agreed to do a pop-up in April. So I had like a, a date that I was going to be needed a website for, and I needed business cards and I needed samples and I needed all that stuff. And I think that having a hard deadline really helped me. But, um, because I had been able to work on this really slowly and organically for a while, um, and it wasn't just like, I'm going to launch a fashion line today. It was it was really a thought-out passion project that turned into a company. Um, you know, when I, when I launched, I kind of had already hammered out a lot of the details and, and kind of the larger concept of what I was doing. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't so, like, a huge undertaking to launch this one day. There's no one day that things come to fruition, I don't believe. Um, and to tell, can I tell a little bit more now at this point about the company? Because I feel like it's that no, time. That's, I, no, I was going to um, ask, like, because you aren't just making run-of-the-mill leather jackets. Like, you've got a very specific point of view. Right. So the whole concept of Namesake is that we make custom leather jackets. Um, but we work off of kind of these base models. So we have uh, nine different base models and each of those are kind of the archetype of a different style leather jacket. So you were you were talking before about some of these great icons who we who we see and imagine in jackets. So each of our base styles are actually called we call them icons are named after different different women who have changed the world in some magnificent way. And from selecting your first your base style, you then get to select your leather, your hardware, your lining, any embellishments, and then most importantly is that we do full custom fit alterations. So we have every single one of our base styles made in black canvas in sizes double zero through 26, and we use these black canvas jackets essentially as muslins for each and every person who comes in and, you know, tries on a jacket. So I think it's such an amazing full circle moment that teenage Rosa was customizing her private school blazer, and now you are customizing for all kinds of women template leather jackets. Absolutely. I and mean, I mean template in the sense that they're, they're iconic styles that you are personalizing for however they want. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a bit about your clients. Are they women who are, like your friend initially was, find it hard to find what they need in the marketplace? So I would say my clients fit into two categories. One category is a woman who has typically had a hard time finding finding something off the rack, um, whether it be because of her personal taste or because of body type. Um, 
women are not really off the rack shoppers and even someone who's like a, a perfect model size you know is going to have some alterations in my opinion that should be done um, whether it be arm length or whatever but you know most most half of my customers really have had a hard time traditionally fitting into clothing. Um, the other half of my customers are really people who are fashion lovers and people who are looking for something different that they can kind of be, be co-designer in, um, whether it be, you know, the color, the embellishment, the painting on the back, whatever it is, they're kind of, you know, customizing these wonderful, creative, insane jackets Whereas my other customers who are more the like hard, hard off the rack shoppers normally go more for like a black leather jacket, but that fits perfectly. Um, so very emotional on either instance, really. Absolutely. I mean, we've had some really amazing moments in our studio. Um, women who have never been able to zip up a jacket before all of a sudden have a piece of clothing that not only zips up, but that they helped create and they walk away truly feeling so empowered and like a million bucks and that means I've done my job my job right is there significance behind the name of your company the namesake absolutely so um I am named after Rosa Parks and Rosa Luxemburg no pressure <laughs> thanks to my uh historian father Love it. um and you know those are some pretty big shoes to fill um and so each of our jackets are named after a different woman in history, like I said, who's changed the world. And the idea is, is that you get to slip on your jacket and become Grace Jones, become Yoko Ono, become Emmeline Pankhurst, whoever it is that you need to channel. You can kind of be that namesake or your own namesake. And, you know, we also hope that just like we are kind of paying homage to the women of history, that the women who are wearing our jackets become the women, you know, who are changing the world today. What does fashion mean to you now? Now, fashion really is about empowering, empower, empowerment. Um, I think that now I'm more focused on creating a single item that really can transform the way someone feels about themselves. Um, and I think that I also, fashion now is about having a lasting impact. We have so many clothes that end up in a landfill. We have so many clothes that are, you know, trend-based fashion. And I'm more interested in kind of creating iconic pieces that are going to have amazing wear value and be worn and cherished for generations to come. That, to me, is really what fashion is now. And I've stepped away quite a bit from my younger years where it was really about trends and those pink neon skulls. <laughs> What is on the horizon for the namesake? Because just, you know, you, you're kind of on fire. Like you have a really strong following. You've had some very, you know, sparkly and fancy clients. What's next? Well, I guess this is my plug for everything that's coming. Um, we are really excited that in uh, September, we're going to be launching our first men's collection. So, uh, at the core, our brand is still about empowering women. Um, we've actually chosen men, all of whom have made it their life's mission to empower women to name our men's jackets after. Oh, can you share any names? Um, you'll have to wait till September. Um, but, you know, we, we've we been getting requ more requests from men than women sometimes, it feels, since day one. And I think that's partly because men are used to having clothes custom made for them. Think about suiting. Um 
but um, I kind of resisted it for a long time just because I really wanted to do everything I could with the women's, with my women and the women's collection. Um, but I felt like the time had come and that it was appropriate to kind of open it up a little bit more. And I do imagine the men's collection as being a little bit, you know, gender fluid. Um, and women can wear men's jackets, men's can wear women's jackets, but, um, yeah, men's is coming. What continues to excite you about working in the fashion industry? Oh, so much. I mean, I think I think that you can never get bored with, with fashion. And I think that what we do is a perfect example of that. We're taking a, a staple fashion item that's been around forever and reinventing it every single day, whether it's with a new embellishment, a new lining, a new material, whatever it is, you can reinvent something time and time and time again and keep improving it and keep making it better. Um, I think that's amazing. I also think that in general, the industry is taking a turn more towards slow fashion and away from this fast fashion kind of craze that we've been in. Um, and I think that it's a really exciting time to be a designer and to be a Canadian designer. We'll have some images on fashiontalks.ca where people can look at some of your amazing designs as, as they listen to, to our conversation. But if people want to follow what the namesake is doing, where can they find you? Instagram is at by the namesake. Um, and our website is by the namesake.com. And we post all the new releases, the new men's collection. Everything will be live very soon. Rosa, it has been such a pleasure having you on Fashion Talks. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Donna. You can follow Fashion Talks at Fashion Talks Pod on social, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. That's T H I S D O N N A B. I want to give a big shout out to Kappa, our producing partner. You can find out more about Kappa at kappaawards.ca, C A F A W A R D S. Until next time, I'm Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks. Yay!